welcome to the NBA Deep Dives Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. We're close to the end of the season at this point, so we are going to go ahead and do our awards podcast. So I'm here with Jordan Christmas and JC Fisher. Jordan, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Just deciphering this really deep ballot of awards. It's insane this year. And JC, how about you? Doing pretty well. Closing in on the end of the season. My Mavericks finally settled outside the playoffs, so time to sit back and just enjoy some good basketball for a month or two. And if we're talking about enjoying good basketball, the only logical place to start is with the MVP discussion. I genuinely believe that any of the top four candidates in this year's MVP race would have won seven of the last ten MVPs. I don't think these guys would be a lock to top Steph Curry's season from last year. I don't think they'd be a lock to top LeBron's best seasons in Miami. But other than that, I think all four of the top guys in this race stack up really well, not only against each other, but against a long period of time in terms of the history of the league. And it's really splitting hairs when you get to the top. It's hard to not think, oh, you know, everybody thinks that their candidate for MVP is so much better than everybody else. But the way I think of it is if you're rating guys on a scale from zero to 100 and 100 is the MVP, all four of these guys are like a 99 and a half out of 100. <laughs> but let's jump right in. And the top four, I think, is pretty clear at this point. It's just a question of the order you put them in. So I'm going to go first. I have James Harden as number one. I have Russell Westbrook at two, LeBron James at three, Kawhi Leonard at four, and sort of the open spot on this ballot is number five. I put Steph Curry there, but there are a whole host of guys that could be that fifth candidate. I had John Wall, Isaiah Thomas, and Giannis Antetokounmpo as sort of honorable mentions in that category. But before we get into our debate between these top guys... Jordan, what was your top five for MVP? Okay, so I picked James Harden before the season started to be MVP. To me, he's still been the MVP, so I have him one. Russell Westbrook, with his insane play the last two weeks, has ripped the number two spot for my theoretical MVP vote. Then I have Kawhi Leonard three, LeBron four, and then I have Steph Curry five. And if it wasn't for Durant's injury, he'd probably be in there, but Steph Curry has shown again that he's the most important player on the Warriors, so he has my five spot. Yeah, so my top five is the same as you guys, albeit in a different order. I'm going with LeBron James to be the MVP. My runner-up is Kawhi Leonard down in San Antonio. I have had a lot of criticisms of Westbrook, but actually moved him into third place ahead of James Harden at fourth. And then, like Nick, you mentioned, there's a definite gap between that top four and kind of the everybody else in the conversation. But I, too, put Steph Curry in there for a lot of reasons that we can get into. I find it really interesting that all three of us picked Steph Curry at number five. But I think there are a lot of good reasons to put him there just in terms of how successful the Warriors have been, even though they've been missing Kevin Durant for a significant portion of the season. The fact that he has now made 300 threes yet again in a season, second place only to his absurd season from last year. And I think a lot of the discussion around Steph Curry is, oh, he's nowhere near as good as he was last year. But last year was a historically great season that it would have been almost impossible for him to match this year, even without Kevin Durant taking a significant number of shots. But let's go back to the top. 
and both Jordan and I had Harden at the top of the list. I thought it's interesting that, JC, you had him fourth, and I think the argument for Harden, at least in my mind, is just that the Rockets were 41-41 and last year. They were projected to be at around 43 to 45 wins this season, the same sort of range as the Thunder. And instead, the Rockets have had a historic offense that is hard to place in terms of just how incredible it's been because they have to go up against the even more historic Golden State Warriors offense. But they've run D'Antoni Ball to perfection. James Harden is leading the league in assists. He's tied for second in points per game. He's been incredibly efficient. He's got a 61.2% true shooting percentage. And the arguments against his defense, I don't think hold as much water as they have in the past, certainly in comparison to last year. The Rockets are still above league average in terms of defense, and I don't think I would have predicted that at the start of the season at all. So he can't possibly hurt them that much on the defensive end if they've managed to stay in that top half of the league on that end of the floor. But JC, you had him fourth, so what were your thoughts on putting him below those other three guys on that list? I think you mentioned one in the defense, which just because he's in an environment that has other players who do a good job doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't hurt them on defense. He has had an historic offensive season. I wouldn't argue that point, but I think a large part of that is due to the system. It's due to the coaching. And while it certainly takes an excellent player to run the point, just like Steve Nash racked up a couple MVPs under D'Antoni, I think that in context, you could see some other players doing just as well there. I don't know that Harden is doing better than, say, Westbrook or Kawhi or LeBron would do if they were put in the same position with the same tools and the same surrounding cast. I don't know if I agree with that because typically I think it works both ways, right? Um, I mean, you saw it with D'Antoni the first three months in his stint in New York, right? The offense was working to his uh, liking. Amari Stoudemire was the main focal point. Then Carmelo came in, a ball-stopping ISO player, and he saw you saw what happened he d'antoni eventually left new york and then he went to la where a roster didn't fit him with a roster didn't fit his style of play and then you find a player like james harden who i always thought has been a brilliant passer and a brilliant scorer and d'antoni turns him into a point guard that system i'm not sure if you could put westbrook in d'antoni's system and it, you would get the same results because I think Harden is more of a cerebral player. And in some facets of passing, I think Harden excels Westbrook actually by a lot, such as seeing the rotation of a defense two steps ahead and everything. I mean, so for me, it's a double-edged sword. He was already a successful player, but James Harden wouldn't have had this MVP season without D'Antoni. It kind of goes both ways, but I kind of lean more towards 60-40 Harden because Harden has just been incredible. He's been like Steve Nash on steroids. I mean, he's averaging 29 and 11, and the, that hasn't been done since Tiny Archibald. I don't know. I mean, he is he has been the straw that stirs the drink for the Rockets. That team might have been tailor-made around him with shooters, but Harden still has the ball in his hands 95% of the time. He's the primary decision maker, and I'm not so sure you can just put any player outside of, obviously, LeBron and maybe a few others, but Harden has just been, to me, he is just, he gets 
all the accolades for what the Rockets have done this year. So to be fair, you mentioned he's got the ball in his hands. He creates all the offense for them. If we actually look at the number of points created, the NBA tracks points created by assists from a player, as well as obviously the points a player scores. James Harden is responsible for 48% of the Rockets offense just by that metric, how many points he creates for others and the amount of points he scores himself. Russell Westbrook is up at 52% for Oklahoma City and at only, you know, a couple seeds behind, not that far behind, and a dramatically worse surrounding cast. I think like you mentioned, there might only be a couple players who could perform as well or better, but you yourself throughout LeBron James, I think Russell Westbrook is another one of those, and that's two of the three guys that I have ahead of Harden. So I don't necessarily disagree with much you said, I just put a little more stock in some of the stats and accomplishments of the other players. But is the Thunder's supporting cast dramatically worse than the Rockets, though? I mean, if you take both of them off, they're obviously going to be bad, and the Rockets have one or two maybe secondary ball handlers that'll pick up the slack, say, if Harden did get hurt for a few games. But to me, they're both really one-dimensional, and me and Nick talked about this on the Rockets pod, but I think it's one of those things where the Rockets and the Thunder, they're both one, they have one-dimensional supporting cast, albeit different dimensions. Um, I don't think Victor Oladipo isn't a bad player. Steven Adams was having a career year in the playoffs and everybody was expecting him to take the jump. Now, granted, his efficiency has been better this year, but Steven Adams hasn't exactly taken the leap. I mean, you still have Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott. I think Russell Westbrook, while he is obviously the main focal point, Charles Barkley brought up this good point, but he couldn't articulate it well, I think. But sometimes it might be a detriment, and it sounds crazy, but it might be a detriment that Russell Westbrook has this high, insane usage rate because it kind of trains the guys like to only expect shots in the last bit of the shot clock or like if they're running the lane in transition. And Westbrook just has the ball so much that I don't, that I, it makes the other players around him look worse than what they are. Whereas with Harden, they're, they're one dimensional too, but it's on the other side of the ball is the offense. Ryan Anderson's a shooter, but not a great defender. Eric Gordon's a shooter, not so great defender. Although he is short and stocky, blah, 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 blah. Trevor Ariza, 3 and D guy. I mean, they're both, they have similar casts, but I think the dimensions where they're only one-way dimensional players, I think the dimensions are different, if that makes sense. JC, one point that you brought up was that Westbrook is creating 52% of the points for the Thunder offense and Harden's only creating 48% for the Rockets offense. But I think that's incredibly misleading because the Rockets are averaging 115.2 points a game and the Thunder are averaging 106.7 points per game. So on the one hand, sure, Westbrook is technically creating a slightly larger percentage of his team's offense, but the Thunder are a below average offensive team this year, both in terms of offensive rating and in terms of scoring. And at the end of the day, if most of your argument about Russell Westbrook falls on the offensive end, it is at least worth considering, I think, that they are not anywhere near the kind of spectacular offense that the Rockets have. Also, on a similar front, the Rockets might be the third seed in the Western Conference, but they're also the third best team record-wise in all of basketball. And the Thunder are paddling it out for a sixth seed. I think when you're talking about the most valuable player in the league, that sort of thing matters. But let's move on from the guy that Jordan and I had at the top of the list to the guy that JC had at the top of the list in LeBron. So, JC, you talked briefly about this earlier, but 
what are your thoughts on LeBron, and why did you have him at the top of the list? So I have a very complex, nuanced argument for LeBron James being the MVP, and I'm going to lay it out for you. LeBron James is the best player in the world, and I don't think anybody would disagree. The best player in the world is the most valuable player. I think that the conversation starts and ends right then and there. If we were picking players for a game tomorrow against anybody, you would pick LeBron first. If you were trying to decide who you would start your team around, maybe there's a little bit of a question that you might go with a really young guy like Towns, but as far as any of these guys, I think you'd pick LeBron first. And I think that's the most important argument, and that's really the only thing that matters. There are plenty of other stats to back it up. He's close to a triple-double. I think he's around 27, 8, and 8 right now. If you care about round numbers and how they play out, his team is the finals favorite from the Eastern Conference, and I think it matters that you're in title contention. I don't think that Harden and Westbrook's teams are in title contention. I think those things matter. I think LeBron James is the best player, and you put the best player first. So I came very, very close to making the exact same judgment that you did. I It's funny because I actually now have LeBron third, but I very strongly considered putting him maybe even first. He's averaging career highs in both assists and rebounds, which at this point in his career, and also just because he's LeBron, that's completely absurd. He's been incredibly efficient. He's got a true shooting percentage at almost 62%. He is such a huge part of the Cavaliers' success. They just absolutely fall off a cliff when he doesn't play, both in terms of their ratings when he goes to the bench in games that he does play, and also in terms of the fact that the Cavs are, last I checked, 4-19 and 19 since LeBron came back to Cleveland in games that he's missed. The only reason that I didn't end up putting LeBron as my number one candidate is because the Cavaliers have just been really bad on defense, especially in the last couple of months. But on the year as a whole, they're 21st in defensive rating. And again, not to go back to this too much, just because James Harden is a below average defender and it would be just completely wrong for me to argue otherwise. But the Rockets are 13th in defensive rating. The Cavaliers are 21st in defensive rating. Harden has actually been better on the defensive end in the last couple of months. Not good enough to surpass LeBron by any means on that end of the floor. But I think at the end of the day, the Cavs just should have been better on defense throughout the season. And even though LeBron is the best player in the world, and he has a huge, huge impact on this team, I think it's hard to give him credit as a two-way player in terms of the MVP discussion when his team has actually been worse than a team that was projected to be completely all offense, no defense before the season started. To, to piggyback off of that, I mean, there's many ways a player can win MVP, right? A lot of it is context. Who is the most valuable, the best player, like JC just argued, who's been more efficient, blah, blah, blah. I just think that it's a, I'm operating on the guys that it's a, and by the way, let me just make this clear. <laughs> I mean, I would not have a problem with if any four of these candidates won the award, but we're just nitpicking at this point, I guess. But I'm operating on the guys that it's a regular season award and LeBron has taken a lot of plays off on the defensive end. And as Nick pointed out, the Cavaliers have been really bad on defense, especially since the all-star break. And <laughs> I, I still am like recovering from the fact that the Cavs lost to the Hawks without 
any of the Hawks starting five. Like that was still an insane loss that I'm still trying to comprehend. But I just think Harden and Westbrook have put up better production, I guess, for their teams and have had better regular seasons. Obviously, the best player is LeBron and he won't fully... I guess, turn it on until June. And I think he's at that point in his career where he's only saving himself for the playoffs. I had a little inkling that he might have wanted to win MVP at the beginning, but I think he's just wanting to get to June. And Harden and Westbrook have just been unbelievable this year. So I'm just operating on the guys, I guess, that it's a regular season award. And I think Harden and Westbrook have had outstanding regular seasons, especially Westbrook the last two weeks. And then, of course, Kawhi also. So you mentioned Westbrook, and let's transition to talking about him really quickly. I had him number two in my rankings, and while leading the league in scoring and averaging a triple-double is ludicrous, I'm not even sure that's the most impressive part of his candidacy, because he has been almost impossibly good during crunch time for the Thunder. He's got a 62% usage rate. He's the assist man on more than half of the Thunder's assists during crunch time of their close games. And especially recently against Orlando and Dallas, he has won a couple of games basically on his own. But the two issues that I have with Westbrook, and again, I would be perfectly happy, as Jordan already pointed out, I would be perfectly happy as well if any of these four guys won MVP. I think they all have very strong arguments. But for Westbrook, his supporting cast is defensive, not offensive. And I think that's something that people tend to ignore when they're discussing his candidacy, and in particular how his candidacy stacks up against James Harden. Before the season started, the Thunder were projected to win two more games than the Rockets were. And that's because they have a bunch of really, really elite defensive players. Victor Oladipo is great on that end of the floor. Steven Adams is a really solid defensive center. Andre Roberson is a candidate for, if not second team all defensive, maybe even first team all defensive. He's a remarkable defender, and people just tend to say, oh, the Thunder supporting cast is awful because they're not putting up a lot of points because Westbrook's doing that, but that's really not what they're there for. And the other thing that I have an issue with is Westbrook's true shooting percentage is basically average, and while it's misleading to say, oh, he's not really an efficient scorer because of that, I mean, his true shooting percentage is average because he's an incredible scorer that's taking a unprecedented number of shots. His usage percentage would be the all-time NBA high. At the end of the day, when you have LeBron, Kawhi, and James Harden all scoring a ton of points, but also on ridiculously good efficiency, I think that hurts Westbrook in addition to just the fact that his supporting cast is really a lot better than people tend to say it is. So, Nick, I don't disagree with you on much of that. I think the clutch stats are another key reason that on my ballot I have Westbrook ahead of Harden, who hasn't performed that well in the clutch. He has his one or two moments, but Westbrook has been a consistent performer in not the smallest of sample sizes, although not a huge sample size either, as the clutch never will be. I think that the usage percentage is another key point for Westbrook. He's going to set an NBA record in that, and his PER 
are, you know, as flawed a stat as it is, as much as it favors volume scores, it does tend to map pretty well to the best seasons, the best players, the MVP caliber seasons. And he's up above 30, which I believe John Hollinger once said 30 was around the point where the guy is having an historic MVP caliber season. So he's certainly on the ballot. I think a lot of what you say about his supporting cast, a lot about the fact that his team will, even if they finish the year with four straight wins, still not reach 50 wins and is definitely not a title contender is what holds him back. It's not anything that he's doing. Although, like many others have said recently, I don't really care about the triple-double. I don't see why the fact that Westbrook gets two rebounds more than Harden, but 1.8 assists less than Harden per game just happens to hit 10 and 10 instead of 8.2 and 11.2, that that's how things go. I think, you know, Harden's just as valuable, if not more valuable, in a lot of ways there, and it's just that Westbrook's performance in other ways has been better. It's not the fact that he hit a couple round numbers that does anything for me. Can we talk about Kawhi really quick before we forget to talk about Kawhi? I just wanted to give a shout out to him because he obviously had a strong case as well. And he's the best perimeter defender that I've seen in my lifetime. I was too young to remember Scottie Pippen, but Kawhi Leonard is the best perimeter defender that I've ever seen. And there were some weird blips in his defensive metrics at the beginning of the year. It somehow made him look like he was worth. How about the eye test? The dude locks down people in the last seven minutes of the game he's a crunch time scorer and I think that I'll still never forget that sequence where he had the game winning three against the Rockets and then blocked Harden's layup pinned it against the backboard the next possession down and the fact that the Spurs are I believe they're second or third in defensive rating and Kawhi is the main reason why when you have Tony Parker, Pau Gasol, and just base a bunch of non-defenders, negative defenders around him, and Kawhi is making the Spurs the best defensive team in basketball while also being the main focal point of their offense. He's been incredible, and because he doesn't do it in the flashy ways that Harden does or the Westbrook's breathtaking grab-the-rebound, flash-down-the-other-court-and-dunk-on-somebody – Kawhi just methodically destroys you, and Kawhi definitely had a case this year, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to Kawhi before we forget about talking about him. I was definitely going to make sure that we covered Kawhi, because I think it would be incredibly unfair not to cover him. The advanced stats stuff, I think it says a lot about how good Kawhi is on the defensive end of the floor, that... The entire season, different people who were sort of into the advanced numbers have been trying to figure out why his advanced stats look so bad. It's not that people think he's a bad defender, it's that people have been methodically searching for how it was possible for someone who, by the eye test, is one of the best perimeter defenders in NBA history, has not been performing up to par in terms of the advanced stats. So... I think the advanced stats are a little bit of a knock on him, but you really have to take those with a massive grain of salt, given not only what the people who've researched this have come up with in terms of the reasoning for it, but also just because you can't watch Kawhi for more than five minutes and not realize how incredibly good he is on the defensive end. I remember, and will never be able to forget, the beginning of the season where the Kings were playing the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard just embarrassed Ben McElmore. He just took the ball out of his hands a couple times like it was nothing. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone who's able to just strip the ball so effortlessly. The arguments I have against Kawhi, first of all, he just doesn't play as big of a role in the Spurs offense as these other three guys play in theirs. 
he's scoring efficiently and effectively and has a career high in points again for, I think, the sixth consecutive season. But he doesn't really do anywhere near as good a job of passing as the other three guys. He's got 3.6 assists per game, which is less than half that of the next closest guy. His three-point shooting has also fallen off in recent weeks, especially since the All-Star break. He's below 35%. So, again, I would be perfectly happy to have Kawhi Leonard be the MVP. I think at the end of the day, if you're talking about most valuable player, he is more valuable to his team's defense than any of these other players by a long shot, and he's somehow managed to take the Spurs to the best defensive rating in basketball the year after Tim Duncan retired. But at the end of the day, he just doesn't do as much for his team's offense as these other three guys do. And that's important when you're operating in a season where the three guys above you, at least on my ballot, are the alpha and the omega of their offense. And in the cases of Westbrook and Harden, you know, all the Greek letters in between as well. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to make people realize that Kawhi has been and even going back to last year, was, to me, a top five player. And you just shouldn't forget about Kawhi. The Spurs are just a machine. I, I'm still, I'm just amazed by the Spurs. That's all. Yeah, I'll certainly have more to say about Kawhi's defense when we get down to the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. But his supporting cast, honestly, doesn't look that great when you actually read off all the names of the guys who are on the Spurs. I want to ask you guys, of the people who get real rotation minutes, say the top eight players on the Spurs, how many of them do you think are under the age of 30? Four. Three. It is three. You've got Danny Green, Patty Mills, and Kawhi. Those are the only three players in the top eight of minutes for the Spurs who are under the age of 30. Other than that, you have Aldridge at 31, Gasol at 36, Parker at 34, Ginobili at 39, and Lee at 33, as far as minutes played for the Spurs. And none of those guys are standout defenders. None of those guys are carrying the load on offense. And the reason I have Kawhi second behind only LeBron is because those are the only two guys who, night in and night out in any given game, are the best player on offense and the best player on defense for their teams, which are two of the best teams in the NBA. The Spurs are going to win over 60 games yet again, and Kawhi is the engine that makes them run on both ends of the floor, up and down the court, night in and night out. So I agree, we're not going to forget him. I've got him second on my ballot, and I think he would be entirely deserving of the award if that's the way things went. Really quickly, before we move on to Defensive Player of the Year, we all had Steph Curry at number five on our ballots. He's been really efficient, 62.3% true shooting. He's got the second best offensive RPM in the league behind Russell Westbrook. The Warriors are, once again, having an absurd season, despite the fact that Kevin Durant has actually missed a pretty significant number of games at this point. But at the end of the day, when you're talking fifth place on this year's MVP ballot of all MVP ballots, doesn't (laughs) really matter all that much. And by the way, he's back. I mean, he has looked more and more like last season's Steph Curry, especially since Durant went down. But I mean... Even throughout the year, I know if you take the two players in a vacuum and you say, who's the better player? Okay, I would understand why you would say Kevin Durant. I would even understand some arguments for Steph Curry. But if you were talking about in the context of this Warriors team, Steph Curry, and I've always said this, is the best player. If you look at their, if you compare Curry's on and off numbers to Durant's, the difference is greater because... 
people don't realize when this you can't account for a dude that you have to guard literally once he crosses half court and the warriors have running more pick and roll now lately in this winning streak and and it's just unlocked 2016 Stephen Curry again to an extent obviously like we mentioned earlier his production is down but he's still averaging 25 4 and 6 <laughs> that's still that, that is still an incredible season but because it's not the ridiculous, you know, 35 and 5 on 50, 45, 90 that he put up last year, people are saying, oh, he's had a down year or he's fell off. He's always, to me, he's always been the Warriors' best player. He is the glitch in the system that wrecks the rules of basketball. You cannot play by mortal rules when Steph Curry steps on the court. And he has always been the best player to me. I know Kevin Durant might be the better talent. And certainly adding one of the greatest scorers in NBA history certainly makes the team infinitely better. But Steph Curry is, <laughs> he is the system. His spacing is what makes the Warriors mostly who they are. The only thing I have to add about Steph is if you compare this season to his first MVP, there are a lot of arguments that he's played better this year. And I think if we look back at this season 10 years from now, we might wonder why Kevin Durant wasn't in the conversation more. And that says a lot about how these top five guys have played. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. So, JC, why don't you start us off this time? Sure. If you recall, we talked about this in the uh, midseason awards podcast, and I threw up Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, and Kawhi Leonard, and I don't think much has changed. I actually reevaluated things independently and then went back to compare them. I have Gobert at the top because he's the best rim protector, and that's vitally important to everything an NBA defense does. I have Draymond Green close behind him. He's one of the most versatile players among those who try hard every night. He has some signature plays like the early season lockdown of Anthony Davis at the end of a game. And then right behind him in third is Kawhi Leonard, who's still the claw. He still gets chase downs that look easy. He still pins guys against the backboard in critical moments. And as Nate Duncan mentioned, and Nick, you alluded to earlier, he's had some really bad luck in a lot of ways. Somebody said he has the worst shooting percentage against him luck at the free throw line and from three-pointers that just occur when he's on the court of basically any player they've ever researched the statistic for. So when you're thinking about why his advanced stats look off, guys are shooting 80-something percent from the free throw line while Kawhi Leonard's on the court. It's not like Kawhi Leonard is suddenly a worse guy at distracting people on the free throw line. That's pure luck. So Gobert, Green, and Leonard are my top three. One was actually a sneaky, really good race too, but I have Draymond Green at first and Rudy Gobert second and Kawhi third. I just, I know Rudy Gobert is by far the best rim protector in the league and all the stats around the rim and stuff are opponents basically just do not want to go in the paint when he's on the court. But Draymond Green, I guess it just depends on what you like, but Draymond Green, he's a good rim protector in his own right, and also he's able to switch one through five and guard everybody. And like you mentioned, uh, JC, earlier, he ended a game against the Pelicans on a play from Anthony Davis. He knew the move Anthony Davis was going to do, and he just stripped the ball right from him. And then there was a play against the Bucks where they he basically read the Bucks out of bounds play. They were down two with two seconds left, and Draymond Green just stole the ball from Giannis because he knew what play they wanted to run. 
there were two plays against the Atlanta Hawks where on back-to-back possessions in crunch time, Draymond Green just blocked Dennis Schroeder, blocked the ball off of him, out of bounds, Warriors ball, same thing to Kent Bazemore. And then I went, I saw the Philadelphia 76ers and Warriors game in Oracle Arena uh, last month with my dad. And the Sixers, weirdly enough, were up 16 and then we're up 10 going into the fourth quarter. And then once Draymond actually decided that he cared, he just took over the entire game in the fourth quarter. He was their best rim protector. He blocked Okafor and Rashawn Holmes twice, blocked TJ McConnell, guarding TJ McConnell full court, guarding our centers, guarding our perimeter. He was everywhere. It was actually terrifying to see in person the effect Draymond has on the game. And I guess I would just take all-around versatility along with great rim protection in his own right. And I mean, it's it, it really is just a pick of preference for me, but I just think it's time. Draymond Green has been the most versatile and an elite defender this year. I think the award should go to him. So I had a very similar list to the two of you with one major difference. I had Draymond Green at number one, and the main reason for that is just because Durant missed a decent chunk of the season and they lost Andrew Bogut, who was really their only rim protector. And they still have the second best defensive rating in the league. Draymond Green somehow allows opponents to shoot 48.3%, less than six feet away from the basket per NBA.com, which given that he's 6'7", is absurd. And he's one of the few players that can legitimately guard pretty much anyone on the court at any time. That being said, Rudy Gobert had an excellent case and... This race was also really tight as well. The one thing that sort of discouraged me from putting Gobert at number one was a game that I saw between the Jazz and the Dallas Mavericks earlier this season where the Mavs hung 112 points on the Jazz, despite the fact that the Jazz really don't allow that many points, not just because of their great defense, but also because they play at the league's slowest pace by a lot. And what I saw in that game is that if any team can draw Rudy Gobert away from the rim, which granted is an incredibly rare proposition, which is why he's been such an incredible defensive player. But if a team can draw him away from the rim, he's not as effective as Draymond, who's just effective at all times on that end. And the guy that I have in third is actually not Kawhi Leonard. And honestly, that again was really, really close. And I would have had Kawhi fourth by a hair. But I put Paul Millsap in third, partially because I don't think anyone would recognize his season if we didn't talk about how great of a defensive player he's been. But the Hawks somehow have the fourth best defensive rating in the league, despite trading an incredibly good switchy defender in Al Horford for a guy in Dwight Howard who's basically only useful right around the rim. And the Hawks this season are 38 and 29 in games that Paul Millsap has played and three and eight without him. I mean, that team just completely falls apart whenever Paul Millsap isn't on the floor. And, but I think he's the third best switching big behind LeBron and Draymond Green. Millsap's also incredibly good at generating steals. He's got really quick hands. He's been among the league leaders in steals rate for quite a while now, despite being usually the only big man anywhere near the top of that list. And while Kawhi is the best perimeter defender in basketball, and I think that's hard to argue, I just wanted to give a shout out to Paul Millsap because that team would be in so much trouble without him on both ends of the floor. But when we're talking about defensive player of the year, I guess the defensive end is, you know, the end that matters. That's a good call on Paul Millsap, actually. He's been, he's always been, especially these last two years, I three years he's been really underrated on that end just 
like you mentioned, his versatility and his switchability. I, I could see your reasoning for putting him there, but yeah, but I, I feel like Kawhi, it's one of those things, like Zach Lowe has his, uh, you know, pop should win every coach of the year, every year argument. I think Kawhi should just be in the top three in defensive player of the year voting every year just because he's incredible. It's weird that Kawhi has, it has had like this, it, I'd say a slight setback, but it's still relative because <laughs> Like we discussed earlier, he's still by far the best perimeter defender in basketball. But I like the Paul Millsap shout out, though. He's a, he's always been an underrated defender and player. No disagreement for me. That brings us to the end of the first half of our awards podcast. We will be back later this week with the second half of the awards show, including our all-NBA teams, our first team all-rookie, as well as our rookie of the year, and our coach of the year picks, among others. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Sports Talk Xmas, S-P-O-R-T-S-T-A-L-K-X-M-A-S. You can follow JC on Twitter at the JC Fisher, T-H-E-J-C-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And you can follow me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. You can also follow hashtag basketball on Twitter at hash basketball. H-A-S-H-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. And you can also find all three of our work among our many talented colleagues at hashtagbasketball.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Please also feel free to reach out to me if you have any feedback, either via Twitter or via email at nickaj.nba at gmail.com. Again, that's n-i-c-k-a-j dot n-b-a at gmail.com. Be on the lookout for the second half of this podcast, which will be ready soon. And thanks so much for listening.